0: Auto Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren
1: Hello dear friends As always my wish for you is wherever you may be you are safe and dry and warm and well fed Thanks for allowing me into your homes and your heads and as always thank you for your ears and your voices Now uh, I want to immediately draw your attention to a, a huge event that's uh, uh, coming to Toronto, and uh, I'm uh, involved in a certain capacity uh, for all of you Jim Mars fans out there, and I know you are legion, and for good reason. I mean, this legendary investigative journalist, perennial New York Times best-selling author, uh, rule by secrecy, alien agenda. Uh, he's really the <clears throat> the granddaddy, if you will, of um, I hate to use this term, a uh, conspiracy. Uh, genre, com- you know, the conspiracy community, because uh, there is no community per se. But uh, I know that many, many, many of you are big Jim Mars fans. He's coming to Toronto for the first time and would well, be the first to admit it. It might be the last. Uh, he's, you know, he's getting on and he's not, he's in good health, but he's not someone that likes to travel a lot. Uh, but he is coming to Toronto June the 22nd. Uh, and he's being brought here uh, by our good friends Patrick and Kadina at Conspiracy Culture so at the Bloor Cinema uh he'll be on stage and uh, he's going to be delivering a um, one of those talks that I'm I'm quite confident is just going to leave you gobsmacked uh and I'm going to be uh, introducing Jim and, and uh, perhaps conversing a little bit with him on stage, maybe uh, conducting sort of a, an interview with Jim on stage. That's at the Bloor Cinema. It's in the afternoon. Ticket information, go to conspiracyculture.com. Uh, in fact, I've got a, a banner ad uh, on my website, richardserrett.com, and it's a rotating sort of slideshow. When you see Jim Mars live in Toronto, just click on that. That'll take you to conspiracyculture.com. There's uh, several ways of purchasing tickets. Don't want to miss out on this. Tickets will go fast. Here's the, the really cool thing. After the uh, the talk at the Bloor Cinema, Sunday, June 22nd, we're all going to convene across the road at the Popper Pub. Imagine that. You get to hoist a few jars with the legendary Jim Mars up close and in person. All right, so uh, someone else who's uh, involved... Uh, deeply in the UFO disclosure movement. He's a good friend, and he uh, joins us from time to time on The Conspiracy Show. My good friend, Victor Vigiani, has darkened our doorway w- once again. Hey, Victor, how are you?
0: Just fine, and it's great to be with you this evening, it's Richard.
1: Uh, just in advance of mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Sheehan, who yep. will join us uh, in just a few moments, uh, just explain a little bit about this uh, ET Let's Talk UFO retreat.
0: Well, it's a very... Um I guess challenging enterprise that uh, a group uh, here in Toronto has taken on, and what they're going to do is hold a retreat, a, a, a three-day retreat uh, north of Toronto in Bolton, and it's it's uh, sort of a a retreat that's going to be not necessarily dealing with just the UFO ET contact issue, but other aspects of it. It's not just uh, just you know, sightings in the sky. It's about where the 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 ET issue is really going, and uh, this UFOContact.com/slash-retreat, and just Google that, you'll be able to find out um, how you can spend a couple of days up north in Toronto with a group of people that will be explaining what the UFO issue is all about, and Daniel Sheehan, the one person that we'll be interviewing, talk uh, about in a few minutes we'll be be talking with other people too so that uh, it's it's a very um it's a very different kind of um venture that uh, that they're taking on
1: all right. Uh, well, having said that, let's bring uh, Daniel Sheehan into the program. Uh, Daniel, as I said, is a Harvard College, Harvard Law School and Harvard Divinity School trained constitutional litigation and appellate attorney. Quite a mouthful, but it's quite a resume. Over the past 44 years, Dan's work as, an, as a federal civil rights attorney, author, public speaker, college and law school educator has helped expose the structural sources of injustice in our country and around the world. He's protected the fundamental and inalienable rights of our world's citizens and has elucidated a compelling and inspiring vision for the future direction of our human family. His dedication to this vision and his work have placed him at the center of many of the most important legal cases and social movements of our generation, including, as I mentioned earlier, the Pentagon Papers, Watergate, Karen Silkwood, Three Mile Island, the Wounded Knee Occupation, and others. He also served as legal counsel to Dr. John Mack the chair of the Department of Clinical Psychology at Harvard Medical School in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Dr. Mack, of course, was a Pulitzer Prize-winning biographer who, utilizing the scientific methods of medical psychology, conducted extensive research into the phenomenon of alien abduction. In 1977, Dan served as a special counsel to the United States Library of Congress investigation into the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence that had been expressly requested by then-President Jimmy Carter. Following this work, Dan was invited to present a three-hour closed-door seminar on the theological implications of our contact with ETs to top 50 scientists assigned to the SETI project, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Given these experiences, Dan was in a unique position to handle legal issues surrounding the extraterrestrial intelligence debate. In 2001, Dan was invited to serve as a general counsel to the Disclosure Project, which coordinated the sworn testimony before staff members of the United States Congress by former U.S. military officers, federal aviation administration officials, and NASA employees attesting to their own direct personal knowledge of government information confirming the UFO phenomenon and the belief on the part of important agencies of our government in the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Quite a resume, quite a man. Daniel Sheehan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: I'm terrific. Thank you, Richard. I'm glad to be
1: here. And uh, say hello, of course, to our mutual colleague, Victor Vigiani.
2: Hey, Victor. How are
1: you?
0: Good to talk to you, Danny.
1: Good to talk to you again. Daniel, uh, uh, quite a resume. And uh, what what jumps immediately to mind is how these two areas sort of intersect. And I'm talking about civil rights uh, and the UFO-ET issue. Can you bring that into focus? What is the connection between civil rights and UFOs and ETs?
2: Well, it's it's kind of interesting, Richard. I I started out at, Har, at Har, when I was at Harvard Law School, uh, was one of the founders of the Harvard Civil Rights Law Review, and uh, I started out with my focus in in my college career and in law school dealing with civil rights. At that time, as we recall, uh, 1967 to 1970, it was there was a major focus on black civil rights down in the South. The the whole desegregation of schools the vietnam war and the uh, the illegal surveillance that was being conducted by the fbi and the central intelligence agency and others against people who were opposing the war so there was a there was sort of a almost a warlike atmosphere that dominated at the time and i was one of the legal champions for the members of our generation the baby boomer generation that were confronting the government at that time about the lying and the deception that was going on, not only in the Vietnam War, uh, the origins of the war, the prosecution of the war, uh, all kinds of lies were being communicated to the American people and to Congress by the executive branch, and it was discovered that the executive branch was engaged in massive uh, illegal surveillance against the anti-war people, and against the civil rights people. They, they were wiretapping the telephones of Dr. Martin Luther King. And then, of course, there was the overlay of the whole thing of Bobby Kennedy being assassinated just after it was sure he was going to be the Democratic nominee in 1968. There was the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, and, of course, it harkens back to the assassination in 1963 of President Kennedy. And our whole generation began to suspect that we were being lied to by the executive branch and that the executive branch was engaged in some type of a deep covert operation to conduct surveillance and an attempt to neutralize the entire citizens movement that was attempting to find out what our government was really doing uh... why it is that they were lying to us what the structures were of the central intelligence agency the national security agency the national security council this entire panoply of executive branch uh, organizations and agencies that were designed to prosecute a secret war around the world against their opponents and against any American citizens who attempted to find out what it is the government was really doing. Now, that was the context of my early career, Uh, and I was engaged on the battle lines uh, of, of that whole confrontation, And what happened is that I ended up being recruited by the United States Jesuit headquarters uh, to become their attorney. And I became the attorney for the United States Jesuit order in 1975. And it turns out that the Jesuits, uh, even though they had a long history, all the way back to 1540, uh, of being involved in some very bad things with regard to the church, the Inquisition, and supporting the crusade and lots of things that were going on. The fact is that there had been a major turn at the end of World War II. There was a major turn in the Jesuit order, which was the largest single order in the Catholic Church, itself being the largest single Christian denomination in the world. The Jesuits had turned on the Vatican in a major way because the Vatican had become involved during World War II, as we all know, with the fascists and with the Nazis, and, uh, and with not only with Hitler, but also with uh, Mussolini in Italy and Franco in Spain. And so the Jesuits took a position against the fascists, and so I ended up being legal counsel for the Jesuit order that had a major agenda to try to dig in to find out what the alliance was between the Nazis and the fascists, and the, Fed, and the American government and intelligence community.
1: Daniel, let me just That's jump in here. We've got the, the music uh, percolating up here, so let's take a, a time-out, come back, continue our conversation. Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zealand News Network in studio. Daniel Sheehan on the line. And we'll learn more about this ET Let's Talk UFO retreat coming to, uh, to town, these parts, later this summer. And also, Daniel Sheehan, what did he find about UFOs what did he find out about UFOs and ETs? In the Library of Congress. Back with more here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away.
3: Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
2: I realized that there was a classification above everything that I'd ever seen that has to do with this particular category about contact with these beings
3: that were recovered from Roswell, a, a living being, one particular living being that
2: they brought to wright Patterson, They had to keep the being isolated where they were afraid of potential contamination. I was challenged at that point to try and determine whether or not uh, I would reveal these things to everyone. I kept trying to have contact with people inside the intelligence community to say, look at. If there's something that you think I ought to know, they would convince me that the American people somehow shouldn't know about this. Tell me about it, will you? Because if you're not going to tell me about it, I can tell you I'm going after it. And uh, only a couple times was I ever approached and said, "Stay away from these things." Well, that's not a, that's not an answer.
1: All right, welcome back. Victor Vigiani in studio. He is the executive director of Zealand News Network. Of course, he joins us here in studio whenever we venture into UFO ET uh, territory, as we are doing tonight. Daniel Sheehan on the line, uh, civil rights uh, lawyer, Harvard College, Harvard Law School, Harvard Divinity School, trained constitutional litigation and appellate attorney, and really has dedicated much of his life now to the uh, UFO ET disclosure arena, if you will. Now, Daniel, before the break, you were talking about as a Jesuit...
2: Oh, I, I just arrived, arrived at Jesuit headquarters. Right,
1: right, and That's trying to find the connection between uh, the Vatican and uh, Nazi right. Germany.
2: That's right, that the, that the, the uh, Jesuit order had become a major anti-fascist, anti-authoritarian uh, force around the world, and they were organizing people in South America, all through uh, Central America, to oppose the major fascist regimes that were down there, the dictatorial regimes. They were all over the world. They were opposing uh, these extreme right-wing dictatorial governments. So I found myself being in a perfectly comfortable position uh, working with them. Uh, But it was in that context that I was first contacted in 1977, shortly after the election of Jimmy Carter, uh, who, as you'll recall, uh, it was, was elected president after, after uh, Richard Nixon resigned in 1974, and Gerald Ford was, had become president as, as, uh, as uh, the vice president for Richard Nixon. And uh, Ford was beaten in the ni- in November 1976 election by Jimmy Carter. He came to office as not only this very kind of uh, uh, holy, uh, spiritual, loving, kind of friendly guy, to kind of restore the faith of people in the presidency after the disgrace of the Richard Nixon administration and the deep unpopularity of Ford because he simply pardoned uh, Nixon for anything he had had done in Watergate. Uh, And so Jimmy Carter comes into office, but in addition to being this kind of hope of the world, of a kind of a a, a nice, honest, decent man in the presidency, turns out that lesser well-known about Jimmy Carter is the fact that he had seen... A UFO. When he was governor of Georgia, during a particular meeting that he had, he and the other people from the meeting uh, exited the meeting and had seen a major UFO that they were all convinced was in fact a UFO. So when Carter was elected in November of 1976, in in uh, December of 1976, prior to his having be having been inaugurated on January 21st of 1977. Uh, in December of 1976, uh, before becoming officially the president, he had a meeting with the head of the Central Intelligence Agency, who at that time was George H.W. Bush. And he had been appointed to be the Director of the Central Intelligence Agency by Gerald Ford uh, in 1977. and uh, uh, well, actually 1975 and, and in '76, and the bottom line is, Jimmy Carter met with, met with uh, George H.W. Bush as the head of the CIA and said, look, I'm, I'm the elected president. I'm going to be inaugurated here in another few weeks. Would you brief me on the issue of extraterrestrial intelligence and UFOs? Because I happen to have seen a UFO, so I'm aware of the fact that they're real. And I'd like to have you fill me in on what's going on. And it turns out that in that meeting, George H.W. Bush said to him, uh, well, uh, look, I'd like to make a deal with you. I'd like to have you appoint me to be your director of central intelligence, and I would like to stay on as the director of central intelligence with Republican and Democratic administrations alike, just like J. Edgar Hoover stayed around for many years uh, from one administration to another as the head of the FBI. And if you'll agree to keep me on as, as your director of central intelligence, I'll brief you on the ET issue. And uh, the UFO issue, well, Carter didn't want to appoint him to be his director of central intelligence. Uh, In fact, uh, Carter was in the process of firing 840 covert operations uh, people from the operations director to the CIA who had worked under George Bush. So he said no. And so George H.W. Bush, as the director of the CIA in December of 1976, uh, flat out refused to give President Carter the information. And he said that if you're going to be able to get this information, uh, you're going to have to have it declassified uh, in order to get it. And uh, if you're going to do that, you have there's a procedure you need to follow. You need to contact the House of Representatives, their Science and Technology Committee, and have them contact the Congressional Research Service and have the Congressional Research Service file official applications to have this information declassified so you can see it. Because, frankly, you don't have a need to know. This stuff, and so uh, Carter was completely flabbergasted that this had happened. But what he did is, uh, during the interim of that December, waiting through till January 21st, he took steps to actually reach out to the House uh, House of Representatives Science and Technology Committee, ask them to have a major investigation conducted by the Congressional Research Service into these dual questions: of number one, what are the probabilities that extraterrestrial intelligence exists? Uh, and by that, he meant a, a highly intelligent, highly technologically developed civilization uh, of, of sentient beings. And secondly, whether or not any of these sightings of UFOs might possibly be visitors from an extraterrestrial civilization somewhere. And so he aside, he, he gave that request to the Science and Technology Committee, of the House of Representatives. They passed it on to the Library of Congress. Uh, and it turns out just... Totally, totally coincidentally, I, at, at Jesuit headquarters. There I was as general counsel, having nothing to do at that time with the UFO issue or ET issue, any, any more than a lot of other intelligent people in the country who were very interested in it and had read a lot about it and had been following it uh, in the news and, and things. And but what happened is I was having dinner with a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, the Rosemary Chalk, who happened to be the executive secretary. Of the National Science uh, Foundation, and uh, she was asking me about what I thought about the issue of extraterrestrial intelligence and UFO stuff. And I told her I thought it was extremely important and a very important issue. And she said, "Well, look at uh, my one of my best friends, Marcia Smith, who is the head of the Science and Technology Division of the Con- the Library of Congress, has just been given this assignment to prepare these two classified studies." one on the probability of extraterrestrial intelligence, and the second one on the probability of whether any of these sightings of UFOs might possibly be a vehicle, an intelligently guided vehicle from an extraterrestrial civilization. And so uh, I, I'd, I'd like to have you get to meet her. And so I said, great. And so uh, within a couple of days, Marsha Smith telephoned me and asked me to meet her for lunch. I did. And she was very very professional, very businesslike, and she said, look, as the General Counsel for the United States Jesuit Order here in the United States, would you be able to possibly get access to the Vatican Library and see if anything is in the Vatican Library about what the Catholic Church believes about extraterrestrial intelligence and about the UFO issue? And so I said, well, let me check with my superiors. And so I checked with Father Bill Davis uh, and, the, and the director of the, the national headquarters, and they gave me permission to try. So I sent, sent a, an official letter from the US Jesuit headquarters in Washington DC to the Library of Congress. And it turns out that the director of the library or the library of uh, the Vatican, the Vatican library, turns out is a Jesuit. So I thought we had a pretty good chance of being able to get access to the to the files, but it turns out to my surprise he said no. We couldn't have it. So I wrote him a second letter saying, look, I don't I don't think you really understand this this is the official United States Jesuit order, the largest of all the orders in the entire church, and the largest uh, uh, order of the Jesuits. We have ten provinces here in the United States, more than any other country. You know, we're asking for access to this information because the President of the United States would like to have it. And in uh, much to my surprise, they said no again. So I reported this to Marcia, and uh, Marcia said, uh, look, would you like to become a uh, special consultant to our preparation of this study so that we can have advantage of your expertise as a you know harvard trained uh, attorney to make sure we probe the evidence correctly and, and make sure that the probabilities are what we think they are with regard to the implications of given evidence etc i said i'd be pleased to do that and then shortly later within a month or so uh we we were contacted i was contacted by Marsha again And she said that, that, look, the House of Representatives has cut out over half of the entire budget for SETI, for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, out of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And we, as as members of the uh, government, employees of the government at the Library of Congress and the scientists in the SETI program, are not allowed to lobby. There's a law against government officials lobbying, so would you be willing to participate with a number of the astronauts and go around to the congressional offices and ask them to put the money back into the SETI program? And so I did, and we were very successful, and all the money was restored to the, to the, uh, to the SETI program. And so the, the top scientists at SETI, uh, in response to our, my having participated in this, uh, asked if I would come out and deliver a closed-door seminar a three-hour closed-door seminar to the top 50 scientists at SETI on the theological implications of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which was, of course, an extraordinarily interesting and important subject. And so I contacted Marcia Smith, and I said, Look, uh, in order for me to prepare uh, this lecture for the the JPL people and the SETI people, uh, would would you, in the context of our trying to get information to to compile these reports for the president could you file an application to try to get me access to the classified section of project blue book And march said well, she didn't think they were going to give us access to that but uh... you know if you don't ask you don't you don't ever get it so she actually put together a formal request for to give me access to the classified sections of project blue book the major classified investigation that was conducted by the United States Air Force into this issue uh, of UFOs and extraterrestrial intelligence. And much to our pleasant surprise, uh, I was granted permission. Sort of, And, and so both Marsha and I were very, very uh, surprised by this, pleasantly so. And so uh, I then prepared to get ready to go do what they asked me to do, uh, and I went I, on a Saturday morning shortly thereafter. This would now be, we're into probably March or something like that of 19, of 1977. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm all allowed to go over. I go over to the brand-new building. Uh, I, I remember, I guess it's called the Madison Building. It's, it's the new extension of the, Congre- of the Library of Congress. And there was not even anybody in it yet. It was all brand-new. Okay, completely empty offices. Nobody had been assigned to this building yet. But I went over on a Saturday morning and uh, came to the came to the main door, and there were two suits there, these two guys, uh, obviously waiting for me because there was nobody else in the building. They checked all my identification and uh, allowed me to go through. I had my briefcase with me and, and showed them all my ID and stuff. And so in I went, and they ushered me down this big, long hallway uh, to an elevator, and I got in the elevator all by myself. They stayed up on the first floor. I went down a th- couple floors and got off the elevator and found myself in this big hall. Again, nobody in the building, an the entirely empty building, and looked way down the hall, and there was this uh, a, an office down there, a room, with two other guys in suits out in front of the door. So I went all the way down the hall to the to place, and sure enough, that's where I was supposed to go. and. The, uh, I, I in the elevator on the way down I had just I had opened up my briefcase and taken out a yellow legal pad and put it under my arm and so as I approached the the, uh, the two men at the, at the door uh, they again checked all of my ID and, and put me up against the wall to make sure I was uh, who I said I was and they said look at uh, okay uh, we're going to let you go on in there but you can't take any notes uh, and we don't know how long you're going to get so that's that's uh, how I got in to actually see the classified portions of Project Blue Book.
1: All right, we'll talk about uh, some of the contents uh, of those documents when we come back. Victor Vigiani will weigh in as well from Zealand News Network. Daniel Sheehan is with us, the people's advocate, in his book, The People's Advocate, The Life and Legal History of America's Most Fearless Public Defense Lawyer. This time around, though, he's talking about ETs and UFOs. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
3: My name is Daniel Sheehan. I'm an attorney, and I'm a 1967 graduate of Harvard College in American Government Studies and Constitutional Law and a graduate of Harvard Law School. I served as general counsel and one of the co-counsel for the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case and became general counsel for the United States' Jesuit headquarters in Washington, D.C. It was there in 1977 that I was contacted by Miss Marsha Smith the Director of the Science and Technology Division of the Congressional Research Service. She uh, asked to meet with me, and I met with her, and she informed me that President Carter, upon taking office in January of 1977, held a meeting with then the Director of Central Intelligence, who was George Bush Sr., and demanded that the Director of Central Intelligence turn over to the President. The classified information about unidentified flying objects and the information that was in the possession of the united states intelligence community concerning the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence this information was refused to the president of the united states by the director of central intelligence george bush senior the dci suspected that the president was preparing to reveal this information to the american public and the secret government which is concealing this information and i am happy and proud to serve as General Counsel,
1: to the Disclosure Project. Thank you very much. That's the uh, voice of Daniel Sheehan uh, here on The Conspiracy Show. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zeland News Network. And uh, uh, Daniel, you've uh, led us by the hand down the, uh, the corridors of this brand new wing, going back 1977, brand new wing of Library of Congress, where you uh, got to, uh, to see... Uh, classified documents relating to the UFO ET issue. And I'll, I'll hand it over
0: to my colleague here, Victor Vigiani. Oh, I think, Daniel, that uh, you know, what, what you discovered that day uh, was very provocative. And uh, I guess you were sort of unexpectedly confronted with some information that you really didn't expect. So what did you see when you went in there and sat down and looked at uh, the documents that you that you saw?
2: Well, it was interesting that, that the room the room that I went, got into. I, uh, they opened up the, the door was open. I went in. Uh, they took my they took my briefcase away from me. They said I had to leave my briefcase outside the room. And I wasn't allowed to take any notes, but they didn't notice apparently that I had my I had this yellow pad under my arm. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had pens inside my jacket pocket. So I, I went in and I I laid the laid the yellow pad down. Uh, and there were these, there were like three tables, uh, like big folding tables, one along the left side of the wall, one along the far side of the wall, and one on along the right side of the wall. Uh, and there was a machine, one of those um, uh, overhead, um, uh, ma- those little tin machines like they have in libraries for, mm. for microfiche. Right. And uh, and so I said, okay, so there's microfiche machine here. So I, I went over, it and there were like. Shoe boxes they were like little shoe boxes they're kind of this off pale green color with with little uh, strings that you un, unstring and open up these little boxes and they were they were filled with microfiche uh, so I began to take these out one at a time and put them into the machine and kind of hand crank the machine and I was started to try to read these now, I didn't know how long I was going to get to be in there. Uh, And so I started to look through these documents and started to read them. I said, oh, this is going to take forever trying to read these documents. Because as a lawyer, I've been trained to read very carefully and very slowly. Of course. Usually taking notes on what I'm reading, et cetera. So I said, oh, this is going to take forever. What I want to do is I want to kind of breeze through uh, a number of these microfiche things, see if I can find some pictures that will be really revealing. So I started, I must have been on about third or fourth uh, roll of the microfiche uh, from these boxes, and I and I was kind of taking them at random, and I I got to about the fourth or maybe fifth uh, roll of these microfiche, and I was cranking this microfiche thing, this, this old timey uh, tin like machine, and uh, and I cranked it, and all of a sudden I came upon this photograph, and it was a photograph, absolutely clearly a photograph of a UFO, and it had crashed; it was on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. It had clearly, there was snow on the ground in the photograph. You could see that the UFO had plowed through this field. It had hit and plowed through this field so that it plowed through the snow and and dug into the dirt. The the soil was all turned up uh, on the snow, and it had crashed into this embankment that was covered with snow, apparently an earthen embankment, and And it had kind of uh, wedged itself in at this kind of 45-degree angle, into the side of this embankment. And, uh, and there were U.S. Air Force personnel. You could see there were U.S. Air Force personnel in the photograph around the UFO. They had cameras, uh, regular photographic cameras, and I could, I could see one uh, film camera. And it was, it was uh, you know, like one of these 1950s-type um, cameras with two great big uh, circular rolls, like on the top of it, for the film that would go down through the, the camera, and it was a, a shoulder carried uh, camera. I could see they were taking uh, uh, film of this thing, and so I cranked into the next picture, and I could see uh, more pictures of it. There, all together, there must have been maybe four to six uh, of these photographs uh, of the of this same vehicle from different angles, and I was trying to see if I could read any of the names uh, on the uh, jackets they were in. Snow, snow jackets, the Air Force guys, like with fur around the hoods. They had the hoods up
3: right. on them. And, yep.
2: uh, some of them. And I was, I was trying to see if I could pick up a name on the, any of the jackets, but it, it was it was too small. The print, I couldn't see it. I couldn't refocus the the overhead thing to be able to quite get to read the names on the tags. But when I, all of a sudden I recognized that it was this, this UFO that was stuck in the side of the bank. It was classic. It was a big saucer-shaped thing. It Must have been. It must have been a hundred feet wide, uh, and it had uh, the classic dome on the top of it. And I saw out of the corner of my eye that there were these uh, symbols around the bottom of the dome, where it joined together with the saucer part of the craft. Uh, and I could I could see that uh, in in the, in the picture. So I tried to see if I could get a little better look at that. and that's. I, I think we're coming. Are we, coming
1: we are indeed, right indeed. Uh, so that,
2: that was where we are. That, so I'm looking at the picture, and I'm trying to see if I can get a closer look at these symbols along the base of the dome on the on the aircraft.
1: All right, we'll take a time out. Come back, Daniel Sheehan, talking about UFO, uh, UFOs and ETs. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network. Back with more of the conspiracy show. Stay with us
0: codes personal identification numbers social insurance numbers if they make you wonder how private they are here's two more numbers 416-360-0740 or toll free in ontario 1-866-740-4740 Welcome back to the Conspiracy
1: Show, Richard Serrett, with you. The website, richardserrett.com. Don't forget to register. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network, and on the line, uh, famed civil rights lawyer uh, Daniel Sheehan is uh, with us. And uh, as you were telling me this story, or us the story, Daniel, of, of poking around in these in these boxes in the Library of Congress, it, it I hearkened back to uh, I guess it was two thousand and twelve when uh, we had the uh, that story of the senior CIA officer who claimed knowledge of a Roswell alien cover up after going through boxes uh, in a similar fashion, and that was uh, charles chase brandon uh, and i don 't know if it was at the Library of Congress when um, when he uh, uh, uncovered this this box that was labeled i believe Roswell and, and uh, he said, "I absolutely know as I sit here talking to you that there was a craft from beyond this world that crashed at Roswell. did you have?" When you opened that box and you and, and and went through those microfiches and looked at those pictures, was that your your come to Jesus moment in terms of the UFO issue, if I can use that term?
2: Well, well, what it was is that I knew I could. There wasn't any question that it was a UFO. You know, in it and it wasn't you know like a light in the sky or even a light in the sky that moves very erratically and and couldn't be any other kind of craft. This was a full-scale UFO, just like you see in the drawings, and uh, in the, this it, at that time, of course, that's 1977, uh, and there hadn't been as many photographs as there are now, with, with everybody carrying their, their you know their cell phones around and taking photographs, and in Jaime Masson had those amazing photographs of the UFOs over Mexico City, etc. Well, this was earlier, and so so I was flabbergasted to see that they're, they're, here's the official United States Air Force uh, Project Blue Book, uh, official government files with, a, with an absolutely indisputable UFO there on the ground, and you know, there weren't any reasons for U.S. Air Force personnel to be flooding all around this thing, taking photographs and everything else of it, if it was one of their own. Uh, and, and so, but when I, when I saw the symbols around the bottom of the dome, uh, I could tell right away that this wasn't anything, any one of ours or Russian's or anything. So, so what I did is I tried to figure out how to crank up the size of the, of the uh, symbols around the, the base of the dome. And I, I, I looked around to make sure nobody was looking. I went over and got the yellow pad, and I brought it over, and I opened up the yellow pad to the inside uh, of the cardboard at the very back of it and I, I slid it under the, under the overhead uh, microfiche machine, and I, I focused the, the size of the picture so that it kind of came, filled up the, the, bat, the cardboard portion of the yellow pad, the inside of it, and then I hand-traced every single one of the symbols that I could see around. I, I could see sort of 180 degrees uh, this side of where the photograph was of the symbols around the bottom of the base of this thing, and these were not. This was not hieroglyphics. This was not Russian. It was not Chinese. It wasn't any kind of a, uh, a language of anything that I'd ever seen. Uh, these were clearly some other kinds of symbols made up of. of and I think I, I think I've shown Victor. I, I kind of showed him because I, I've I've gone looking for this thing. I've, mm-hmm. I've put it in. It's in my Jesuit files. I've got with the two, with the copies of the ultimate uh, the classified reports that were put out the two reports on the on the ETS and, and the uh, and the UFOs which I, I think have later been declassified but I have the original classified uh, mm. things in the file uh, and so I, I I trace these things out in detail and then I I close the, the, the yellow pad up and then I all of a sudden I said oh wow you know I've, I've copied these things they told me I wasn't supposed to do this I'd better shut this thing down and get out of here now that I've got this before I get caught. And so I I put all the microfiche back into the into the little boxes and tied them all back up and, and put the little yellow pad under my arm and just turned around and walked out. And I walked over, and, and the guys were kind of surprised, I think, that I'd come out of there as early as I did. and And... Obviously, it's one of those types of things. You look back on your life and you say, "Oh, Mac, I was, you know, I should have stayed in there until they dragged me out by my finger." Yeah,
1: that was my first uh, thought. <laughs> oh, Why oh, didn't oh, you listen? And I'd like to go. Uh, I'd like to be able to right. spend the time with you to go through every single you know microfiche in in the, in the Library of Congress. No, no, but, no, no
2: absolutely. Man. Wh- I, but I let just me um, myself a thousand times over that. Let me just but, but, to throw I'm it over I'm to. Just so freaked out once I had this. Yes. Thing, I knew I had, what I had. I said I have got to get out of here before I get caught or before they try to take it away from me, and so that my coming out as soon as I did kind of took them off off guard they right. weren't quite ready for it and so i just walked over and picked up my my briefcase and, and you started went. walking down the hall so you,
0: know, you so you had your hand in the cookie jar right
2: yeah i had the hand in cookies and i, and <laughs> I had, I had yeah. these tracings of real cookies
0: so you know? w- so you've been there you've been in this this location and you've got these these you know, in replications or whatever yeah. you've got. Yeah. now, uh, what are you going to do with this stuff? i I, I know well, that I, I
2: brought it, I brought it back and I, I went right back uh, the following Monday morning. I went back to, into the Jesuit headquarters of my office and I went in to see Father Bill Davis, who, William J. Davis, who was the director of the National Social Ministry Office of the United States Jesuit Headquarters, and I showed it to him. I said, look look what I found here. And I told him all about the photographs and exactly what was all that. Of course, he knew that I was doing all this because I'd been touching base with him to get clearance to do it all. And he looked at me kind of strangely, and he went over to his desk, and he pulled. He opened up the drawer, and he pulled out a little envelope, and he pulled out a photograph. There was a photograph of a UFO. And I, I was kind of surprised by this, because he never said anything to me about this at all, even with the discussions I'd been having with him about this. And he said, look it. This is a photograph that my sister's, my sister's husband gave to me. And he is an air controller uh, at the airport, civilian airport in Seattle, Washington. And his best friend was a, a commercial pilot who took this photograph out the window of his plane of a UFO that was tracking them. And his best friend didn't want to get in trouble with anybody, So he, but he said he had to do something with it. So he took it and gave it to Doty's husband, uh, who was the air traffic controller, figuring that, well, he'd sort of done his duty. He gave it to somebody official. And so Doty uh, had given this to Father Bill Davis, figuring that, you know, tell, tell your brother who's the priest about this, and she'd done her duty. And then she doesn't have to get in trouble and so, so Father Bill Davis had had this photograph sitting in his desk. So he hands me the photograph. So I know that I've got this file somewhere. I've got the file with the photograph in it of, of the, that that uh, Doty gave to Father Bill Davis. I've got the the two copies, the copies of the of the two reports, and I've got the the traced drawing, the tr- the tracings of the of the uh, the UFO symbols. So I've got these, and I've I've sicked my people on this because I got these trillions of files. I've got you know files and depositions on all these cases I've been doing for 40 years, and I've got them all in this. That well they were in a bunch of different storage places, and when people started asking me about this, I said, gee, I would better get all these things out of the storage places, and so I've, I've gathered all this stuff together, and I've got it way out in these these back rooms at our offices, and I've I've assigned my interns to try to find this thing for me. Now they found your know, old uh, a bunches of the Jesuit documents. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the boxes were wet; that it gotten wet somehow and they had mildew. But they're they're in the process of digging these out, and uh, and I've told Victor the the as soon as they find this thing, I'm going to call Victor and say, Victor, I've got it. Our people found these things, and I'm going to take them to Victor and show them to him.
0: Well,
1: well,
2: hopefully, I'll have them by the time we get to this uh, this uh, retreat uh, uh, in at the end of August.
0: That that would be great. I mean, it, that would attract. Uh, I don't know how yeah. many people. Let's just take a step back Daniel yeah. and, and just in a non-trivial way just as a you know uh, objective solicitor yeah. uh, and you know just let's pretend it's not you but let's suppose someone of your status has something of this ilk of this this largesse of this kind of information how do you engage the legal community I'm not talking about the UFO research community mm-hmm. or how do you engage the legal community about the gravitas of what you've discovered. I mean, this to me...
1: Well, it, this, this, this is We've got about
0: three minutes. Important. We've got about three minutes here. Go so. ahead. Yeah.
2: Uh, now, is, is that the end of it? We have only one hour total here?
0: Correct.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately,
2: okay, yes. Okay. Well, the, the bottom line is that, that that makes... That's an important question, and it falls in as a subset of the much larger question about how can you, in fact, respond as a trained attorney to dealing with something that you've discovered when you know that the whole legal system and political system doesn't want to deal with it. You know, for example, when we discovered that they were smuggling 98% pure bomb-grade plutonium out of the facility where Karen Silkwood worked, and they were smuggling it to Israel so that Israel could make a, a nuclear weapon in complete violation of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. We knew that our Central Intelligence Agency was involved in working with a guy It was the FBI guy assigned to maintain the security over the nuclear facilities there. And we, we knew that they were up to their armpits in doing this themselves. And the guy that owned the Kerr-McGee nuclear facility, Robert S. Kerr, was the the United States senator from uh, from Oklahoma and was the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. So we knew that, that what was there was things going on in the background. There's an entire other kind of shadow government that's functioning, and that the American people are not told about this. So we that about, to try to tell people about the existence of this shadow government, this off-the-shelf government. That's why we ended up doing the Iran-Contra case and exposing the whole off-the-shelf enterprise that was flat-out lying in providing military equipment to the Contras in Central America while the President Reagan was standing up in front of everybody saying they weren't providing any weapons for them at all, and all these rumors were untrue. Mm-hmm. And so that this, this important question that you ask is a subset of the more of the more important question, is what does one do when one discovers one of these fundamental lies that the executive branch is communicating, not only to the American people but to Congress itself, uh, what steps can you take? And there was a time when the judiciary was willing to help you out on this thing, but the fact is that now, like 63% now of all the federal judges that have been appointed have been appointed by, you know, by either leftover from Richard Nixon or Gerald Ford, or one of the two Bushes, or Ronald Reagan. You know, and, and uh, almost two-thirds of those are Federalist Society people mm-hmm. who are these extreme right-wing reactionaries who, who believe that the Constitution is a ship that sits in the harbor in Boston. You know, and uh, so that you, you can't get anywhere with these people. So that you know, I've told audiences across the country now, and <clears throat> now in Canada on this show, that you can't really anticipate legitimate, objective, honest justice from the United States court system any longer. So, Which, and you can't expect it from the Justice Department either. They won't do anything about these things because they're part of the cover-up.
1: All right, listen, we, uh, we've got about a minute here, and I, I want to take a, 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 take what time remains and talk about this um, uh, ET Let's Talk UFO oh, yeah. retreat. Uh, tell us a little bit about that in, in 40 yeah, seconds. Yeah, well,
2: well, one of the things we're going to be doing, they, they've asked me to play a major role in this, and what I want to do is I'm going to lay out for people what we, what we developed at the State of the World Forum. At the, at the end of the, the Cold War, I was retained by President Gorbachev uh, to bring, help bring together uh, all the former heads of presidents and vice presidents and secretaries of state, secretaries of defense, secretaries of treasury of all the major governments of the world to bring them to the place where the UN was founded in San Francisco uh, and hold a whole series of meetings at the end of the Cold War to try to identify a new governing paradigm for the planet before the dialecticians could figure out some new ultimate other. And so I'm going to lay out for people here what it is that we discovered in all the conversations with these former presidents and vice presidents, etc., about the existence of a whole spectrum uh, of eight major alternative worldviews that exist in the world among our citizens. And I'll talk about how that affects the issue of the extraterrestrial intelligence and UFOs. Because what we've discovered is people think what is consistent with their worldview. And we need to explicate this for our people and figure out how we can bring people from each of these eight worldviews together to open up this issue of the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence.
1: This is coming uh, in, in August, and we'll get more details on that. August 28th to 31st. Okay. We'll have you on the program uh, before the event, if you're good for that, Daniel. Terrific.
2: Thanks, All right. Richard, you Appreciate
1: back. your time. Daniel Sheehan, Victor Vigiani, thank, thank, you,
2: thank you, you. guys. Uh, bu- okay. Thanks, everybody.
1: Uh, bye-bye, Danny. Uh, bye-bye. Thanks to uh, Damian Murray for production. Back next week with another program, uh, in- including... Uh, a, a fascinating new book called Police State. George Orwell's worst nightmare has come true. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show next week. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Good night.